Welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 55, Purity Movement or Sexual Integrity. Yes. Welcome. Hello. My name is Lori Krieg. And yes, we're going to be talking a little bit about the purity movement, which for some of you who grew up in the 80s, 90s, that's going to be familiar to you. Uh, And then we're going to be contrasting it, comparing it to this idea of sexual integrity. But yes, who am I? Who am I with? And who is our guest today to explore this topic? Again, my name is Lori Krieg, and I am here with my husband, Matt. Hello. And producer, Steve. Yo, yo. Yo, yo. I mean, I feel like we've done that one. I do too. Ish. Whatever. We're good. We can keep doing it. We just, you need to learn every language in the world (laughs) and it will be different every time. Or that's just your one now. Yeah. Well, I really liked Namaste last week. Namaste Mm. was really. I just want to leave that. Actually, it was was a a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I did like that one. That was, that suit you. I feel like howdy. I don't know. We'll come up with a good one. Yes. Uh, But we are here with my friend, Jason Soshanek. Welcome, Jason. Uh, it's great to be here. I feel like I need like a yo-yo as well, but maybe yeah. it's like hola. You, there you go. They, so, or you could just have a yo-yo. And <laughs> He's walking the dog right now. <laughs> That's right. Which again, speaking I, of the I, 90s. I could say that I'm doing that since we're on a podcast and yeah. you can only hear my voice. Ooh. But And I would believe I you. Would... <laughs> All right. But before we dive into the whole purity movement, sexual integrity, I just want to talk some about that whole idea of sexual integrity from a big picture Washington, D.C., there's been a lot of talk about sexual assault and just politicizing it. And um, I just know here, for those of us in this room, it's there's been enraging things on both sides. And I don't want to, like, take a side other than I want to take your side, the listener, uh, because you, I've been very vulnerable here. Steve has. Matt, you've walked with me uh, with our own wrestling with um, sexual assault Uh, memories and it's very painful and hard and you all who've been with us on this podcast walked with us for the last couple of years is that's really affected our marriage and it's no joke but my hope is like when I hear all these stories and people coming forward is I ache for the person speaking and I'm sure everyone does like you just want healing and wholeness and am I healed past tense or whole past tense like all done no but there's we're on steps of it. So I just want to speak to you, the listener. I hope that this is a safe place for you. If you've been triggered about what's going on, that this is a place where you can feel loved and seen and cared for, and hopefully even a next step in your own journey. I also wanted to thank you listeners for uh, giving us reviews on iTunes and sending us encouraging emails. Just as we keep doing this, we so appreciate you. And I wanted to highlight a review we got recently on iTunes. Uh, the person who did it, you didn't really give your name as a bunch of letters, which is totally fine, but you, you titled it Hallelujah. And you said, I found out about this podcast through Julie's interview. So that was Java with Julie. We did a couple mm. guest podcasts there with Matt and Lori. And I was ecstatic to listen to some mature talks on different topics, like where you're not really able to be touched on in main sermons, but maybe some of what we talk, not maybe, what we talk about here is not often and maybe not always appropriate for main stage sermons, um, but sometimes maybe needs to be more. But, and this person said, or as a student, I'm just so grateful to have these conversations as a student, not having a consistent church going experience. So we're just grateful to be a part of your church community and just that body of Christ. So back to it, back to the purity movement or sexual integrity. Jason, where are you calling us from? You are not in the same room as us. Where are you at? No, I'm in the Pacific Northwest in a city called Spokane. Some call it Spokane, but it's Spokane. Spokane. And I hear like an H. Yes. Is there an H in there? Spokane. No, no, it's just a, uh, it's just S P O K A N E. Okay. Spokane. Just you have to yeah. say it with yeah. the breathiness because it's so airy and beautiful. <laughs> that's uh, exactly right. That's it. Well, I've seen pictures, and I know Moody Bible Institute had a location out there. I think for a while. But we you... did up until about four months ago. Yep. Oh, Ooh, sort. Sore topic. You can, <laughs> you can edit that out. <laughs> Too Too edit. Uh, but Too we, we met in another beautiful spot in Boise uh, for a board meeting yes. for the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And I could just tell that you were a brother from another mother. <laughs> and I could just tell that um, 
you know, none of us get in this sexuality and the gospel business just for kicks and giggles. Uh, there's usually some sort of reason behind it. And I could just tell that you had a story and that you had just a passion and a calling for this. So before we get into that story, which we'll dive into uh, it, during the heart of the matter section, what what is it that you do? <laughs> uh, it's uh, sometimes very difficult to dive into uh, just in one brief sentence, but uh, <laughs> I I run a sexual integrity ministry called Project 619. So uh, I speak on the topics of sex, sexuality, relationship, uh, working directly with family, schools, and churches. Okay. And the 619 is? Comes from uh, Paul's exhortation to Timothy to take hold of a life that's truly life, and uh, hmm. and it comes directly uh, at the reason for that. Some a lot of people think it's First Corinthians, but um, hmm. the heart of what we do is we we want uh, sex to simply be the catalyst to talk about the one that created sex. So ultimately, yes. to lead to conversations around who created this great gift and and the relationship we are all built for, which is uh, our relationship with our creator. Oh, see? See why I like this guy? <laughs> it all goes back to Jesus. There you go. Okay. Well, we're excited to hear more about that and really to dive into um, just some of the brokenness of our world and, and how can we walk alongside our kids and how can is sexual brokenness and a lack of sexual integrity, is that just inevitable? So I'm excited to go there. But let's talk about the question of the week, which was a very benign one. Favorite group games. And I I was looking for like huge groups, 12 to 15. But when I put it out on the Internet, I didn't specify. So we got a bunch of answers that some of them are great for groups of 12 to 15. Um, but what are y'all's favorite group games? When we were talking last week about family dinner, we need some help to do some of the family part, which is the game. So what are Jason, let's start with you. What's what's some of your favorite games. Well, so there's a lot of different contexts here. So the the first thing I thought of was soccer. I'm a big soccer fan. I know it's a sport, but uh, when I think of groups playing together, I, I, there's nothing I love more than playing a good game of soccer or dodgeball. Dodgeball is also a great uh, group game that I don't know, brings out a lot of competitiveness. Yeah, I'm gonna sit on the sidelines for that one. My face is a magnet for mm, the dodgeball. But I in I like your vigor. <laughs> I'd be right there with you. Yeah, on the, the you soccer, the dodgeball, the ultimate frisbee, any type of sporting event, I'm down for. Matt, how about what was your favorite listener answer, and then how about you for? choice yeah game. yeah so i mean the only thing that i could think of honestly was telephone pictionary also called telestrations yeah we mentioned which, that last which week. is what we mentioned last week which is why it's the only thing i could think of but what is that game explain it for so, those of us who don't know this is a game where, where someone writes a word down so everyone has like a stack of papers or a dry erase board and they write a word on it and then like shift it to the bottom of the, the stack and pass the whole stack to the next person and they draw a picture off of that, and then the next person has to write a phrase off that picture, and it goes around the whole table until it changes into something completely different than what it started as. Um, and it always ends up pretty pretty hilarious. Oh, yeah. And so, but I, I really was, as I was looking through the, the comments on Facebook, there was a lot of like, oh, yeah, I remember that game. And so, like, catchphrase came up and heads up and all those sorts mm. of things. And and those were those were, like, my jam because mm. it was intellect and so i could always try and win really hard and oh, sometimes there, sometimes Matt. took Your a little bit not gonna fit through the door, a man. little bit too serious on, on some oh, of yeah. it and so we had to throw a game away or two didn't we at some point because you were so competitive or I give was it away so competitive yeah we I gave was, it away. <laughs> yeah early on in our marriage i was like who is this yeah. guy <laughs> who is this raging lunatic yeah, like, who's so concerned game. about winning catchphrase like, yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so that was that was what I thought of. And then that also spurred me to think about my high school days, which Mafia was yeah. like the youth group yeah. game of choice. Yeah. And so then Mafia would be the one I would add to it. Killing your friends. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So good. <laughs> Gospel. No, sorry. That's terrible. Go, Steve. <laughs> okay, so uh, I appreciated what Amber said. Uh, she just... Uh, has a game called Exploding Kittens. Oh, yeah. You know that one? I don't at all, <gasps> but I love the... Oh, like, that sounds like a great game. Yes. It it's, is a great game. The it name is very, is very intriguing. You would love mm-hmm. it. Yes. Uh, so I want to know more about Exploding Kittens at some point, Amber. Uh, I had 
Mafia also. Yeah. We've played that in our small group. And I still, if someone asked me, okay, tell the rules of Mafia, I would be like, well, (laughs) you just have to lead me through it. You have to guide me through it. You know, there's townspeople, there's a sheriff, there's a doctor, and then there's Mafia members. And so anyway. Did you guys like to be Mafia or good? Or townspeople um, or doctor? I... I think I preferred being mafia, but yeah. it's a you draw a card, so it's like oh. it's a, kind of a I, random. We had the thing. narrator would like pick. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I don't want to be the narrator. Yeah. Um, unless I could have more experience playing the game, because you kind of have to know what you're doing. Yeah, you do. But anyway, like that game. Also, we have a game called the Hat Game, which I think maybe has been called Fishbowl. Yes. So basically, you write down mm-hmm. a name, and you have three rounds, and one is you're explaining the person who, who the person that you've drawn. The two is you can only use one word, mm. and then round three is just charades. But by that time, oh, yeah. all the names have come out and have gone back in the hat, so okay. everybody knows the names that are in there. So is it people like famous people? Yeah, usually oh, okay. it's got to be somebody that everybody in the room knows of. Okay. Um, yeah, isn't that just called the name game? I've yeah, I've heard different. Maybe in Spokane. Maybe maybe. Yeah, we always call it the hat game, and yet we never use a hat. So I always go, whatever. (laughs) If it's a basket, I call it the basket game. If they're putting it in a bowl, I call it the bowl game, and it annoys my wife. (laughs) It's supposed to be called the hat game. Okay, so can we just real quickly go back to exploding kittens? Yeah, because I, I just, I just want to find out from Amber, like if if you're partial to kittens but not dogs, could it be like exploding puppies instead of exploding kittens? They're just evil kittens. I think I've okay. only played like late at night, but they're mostly evil. Yeah, aren't no, they? it is so like an officially branded card game. Yeah. And I think it got okay. its start on Kickstarter, but yeah, it, it's, it's got a bunch of pictures. And basically the goal there's a, for however many people are playing, there's like one less explosive kitten card in the deck. And so the goal <laughs> is to not have a kitten explode on you. And the game's over when all five of the kittens have exploded on five of the people and not the sixth person or whatever. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's just a card game, yeah. but it's actually branded exploding kittens, okay. but so, I'm sure you could branch off into other explosive animals as well. People might cry. So our next step resource for today is exploding kittens, everyone. <laughs> uh, I liked Emily's response, which was Clue. I just love the mm. game Clue so much because I secretly want to be a detective and I just love that. And I really love Harry Potter Clue, which I got for my birthday or Christmas or something last year. And I just want to play Clue all day long because <laughs> I wish I was a detective. So there's that. Okay. Time for Island. Now, the vehicle we took there, maybe we're there already. You guys noticed that giant that was so kind. And- there you are. There it is. He set us down by giant. The game we're playing is one, two, skip a few. And we're going to take slivers of your life, Jason, to get to know you every five years. Now, why are we playing one, two, five, skip a few? Because it sounded great and it came to my head. If you guys have other Goofball Island games, please tell me. I'm going to start recycling these. But I liked this. Okay. So, Jason, we're going to start with the year zero. Where were you born? Okay. I was born in Phoenix, Arizona. And how long did you live there? That's not a question. Uh, well, I lived there, I think, until I was 20, 21. Whoa. Oh. Yeah. That wasn't like, I yeah. thought you were going to say like 20 months. Yeah. But it was. <laughs> <laughs> no. My no, like, uh, born and bred uh, Arizonan. No. Oh. Cool. Wow. Okay. Cool. So yeah. now yeah. you're in Spokane. Okay. Yeah. What At five years old, what was your biggest fear? Uh, wedding the bed. Oh, mm. totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I was trying to think about like what was my biggest fear? because we have a four year old well, we have a five year old, just turned five. Yeah. Uh and I always I always think, gosh, what what's what's his biggest fear? And we try to talk about that, but um mine I think was wetting the bed. I think it was uh I, I was always afraid that I was gonna pee in my bed at night or if I stayed at a friend's house that I was gonna oh, yeah. wet the bed. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah. All right, jump into ten. Well, yeah. who was your celebrity crush? This will probably reveal your age. <laughs> it will. Uh, uh, Alyssa Milano, who oh, yeah. just <laughs> showed up recently on TV for <laughs> showing up at some hearings. That was random. So, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, who's the boss? I mean, that definitely shows how old I am. I'm 
uh, yeah, I, I don't I, I don't care if you know it's 42, but yeah. So. That's good. We need it. Steve yeah. just turned the yeah. big 5-0. Yes, I did. We need that wisdom around here. Keep Matt and I grounded. <laughs> um, dream job at 15. What was your dream job? So here's another sh- sign of my age. One of my favorite shows growing up was Family Ties. Okay. And um, I used to think when I was younger, before 15, that I was Alex P. Keaton. And uh, I don't know what it was. I, it's not like I shared his politics or anything. It's just I, I liked the way he dressed when I was younger. So who is, and so, what was his character? I don't know anything about Family Ties. Alex Michael, P. Keaton Michael J. Fox. was Michael J. Okay. Fox. Yeah. Okay. And he was like a diehard Republican. and it, yeah. But more, he just like was always dressed up. Yeah. And uh, I don't know okay. what it was, but when I was younger, I wanted to wear cardigans and, and dress shirts and, um, That's Mr. and I had Rogers. it in my head. What was that? That could be Mr. Rogers too, but that could be, yeah. <laughs> but you <laughs> now had that it. I'm older. I, I like that one better. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you had it in your head. Uh, I did. I, I, I had in my head that I was going to be an ad executive, make millions of dollars and then on the side, be a firefighter. Oh. I have no idea what. I love that. Hmm. 15. Hmm. It's like both getting the heart, saving, courageous stuff, and then just looking awesome, making that money, <laughs> make that paper. Or, or being greedy. I yeah. mean, so. I, yes. <laughs> greedy <laughs> and altruistic at the same time. Yeah. Risking your life in a fire, but, you know, having so much money that you could probably pay for someone else to go in there for you. I'm pretty sure <laughs> Alex P. Keaton brought the Argyle back. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to oh, say, oh, well, yeah. Well, I got to thank know. him for that because I love myself some Argyle. Yep. Matt wants an all fall short, all are loved Argyle vest. Sweater vest. Sweater yeah. vest. Yeah. Like HIMH needs to come out with some Argyle sweater vest swag, and I would rock it every day. <laughs> At your therapy. I mean, it could be summer, 90 degrees. Yeah. You love Boom. an Argyle sweater vest, but I'm not going to do that. I know we've like literally I'm like I get we get to this point every time this conversation where I'm like no it's not okay he's like please it's <laughs> like I will make it yeah okay what was your car at age 20 uh I had a 66 fastback Mustang what oh this what? was a good question for you yeah. some car people talk, ask questions I don't know how to respond to that <laughs> other than wow that sounds fancy it was a, six, uh, a 68 66. It was a 66 fastback, okay. two plus two. So uh, the back seat would flip down and then it would go back up. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, it was, they only made, I don't know how many they made, but it, it wasn't in mass production. I'm, I'm um, hoping the answer the fast- is four since you said two plus two. <laughs> yeah, but. that's right. <laughs> I don't know. Eight. <laughs> I don't well, know. What's uh, fastback yeah, mean? Uh, it sloped. Uh, you had a hatchback. Um, uh, like when you had, like you had a coupe that just kind of had a flat back mirror, but then you kind of had a hatchback on the fast, on the fastback. It just sloped down. Wow. Also our next step resource, that car where you can get it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Your greatest accomplishment at 25. So last question. I think you just talked about it. (laughs) (laughs) We (laughs) We literally just. Did you become Michael J. Fox (laughs) at 25? So the funny thing is, is I, um, no, I did not. I I had become an ad exec. I wasn't a millionaire, but uh, when I was 21, which we'll get to later, um, I had come to recommit my life to the Lord, and I was already um, working at an ad agency at the time at a small uh, advertising agency here in town. Um, but I, I um, had really just kind of recommitted my life to the Lord, and at 25, I was in the middle of uh, moving away from the ad agency into. The work I was doing now, the Lord had led me to sharing my story. So, wow, yeah. So it's kind of a, a mixed bag where the greatest accomplishment was also leading me to a place where I was growing in my faith. Wow, thank you, Lord, for guiding the goofball island questions because yeah. this is leading us <laughs> away. Thank you. Why did I have a giant taking us one to like a? Oh, maybe hands. <laughs> I think he was like counting on his hands. Why did I pick a giant's hand to pick us up and take us That's here? That's a good question. I have no idea. I'm so sorry I made you find that sound effect. Uh, maybe it's he's counting and I just couldn't think of something to like count to five. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm tired. Okay. We're going to shift though. and ex- We're going to shift gears on the 66. Yes. Mustang yes. fastback. Thank you. Two by two, four by four. 
And no, we're going to pick it up right where you just left off, I'm, I'm hoping, and perhaps backtrack. But as we move to the heart of the matter, where we're going to talk about how the gospel is good news for everybody every day, which is the point of this podcast, how was the gospel first good news for you, Jason, and, and how is it still? But we'd love to hear, start off with that. How, how was it first? Yeah, you know, I, I had the privilege. So I grew up in Phoenix. I moved to Spokane to come to school at a small liberal arts uh, college called Whitworth. Hmm. And uh, I made friends with this group of men and women that just uh, for the first time didn't just speak the love of the Lord, but actually lived it out in ways I'd never quite seen before. Yeah. Um, I had come from a large uh, university uh, in Arizona, University of Arizona in Tucson, and uh, moved to Spokane, Washington to come to Whitworth. And it, I'd been surrounded by other Christians growing up, but this was the first time I was around Christians that weren't just uh, living their faith by word, they were doing it by deed. And wait, why'd you pick that? Uh, why'd you do the switch? Was there something? Um, was the hole in your yeah. heart, like <laughs> speaking? Like, why? Yeah. Uh, so, without going into massive detail, what ended up happening is I had a summer here in the Northwest working at a summer camp. And uh, the camp director had been my uh, youth pastor growing up. And that early in the summer, he said, listen, at some point, I want you to come and check out my alma mater, Whitworth. And I want you to see why I love this and why I think this school is right for you. And I said, mm-hmm. ah, we'll see. He goes, I tell you what, at at some point this summer, you're going to want other food besides camp food. And I will take you to Spokane and you can have whatever food from whatever place you want. But <laughs> the condition is you've got to check out Whitworth. Hmm. And I said, all right. You know, and by the end of summer, I was begging him, not just because of food, but because of so many other students I'd met from Whitworth. And I went to Whitworth and just fell in love with the people that were there, the way that mm-hmm. they treated me, the way that I, I felt um, as part of a community that I hadn't quite felt when I was at the University of Arizona. Mm-hmm. And that was just within a few hours. Wow. And we were driving back from Whitworth going to the camp. The camp was about four hours away. And there's a, there's a section of um, Interstate 90 here in Washington State where you pass over the Columbia River, which is beautiful. If you've ever been to Washington State, um, if you go through a place called Vantage, you, you cross over on a bridge. And I just remember looking out over the Columbia and I was praying. I was praying, Lord, I, I feel like this is where you're leading, but I, I just don't think I can afford this school. There's just absolutely no way. Right. And it's one of the few times in my life where audibly I could hear the Lord just say, um, this is the school I have for you and, and it's where um, I want you to go and mm-hmm. I'll take care of the rest. Mm. Wow. And uh, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Nothing short of a miracle allowed for me to end up at a school I did not think I could afford. And I made friends with the finance office. And in fact, they just went to bat. And um, like a week after school started, I still didn't have the funds to pay for school. And somehow or another, it it just happened. Like wow. the pieces of the puzzle came together. And so that's how I ended up at Whitworth. And it was there after that year that I just... um had this radical encounter with God. I had been a believer. I'd come to know the Lord at 13, but I really didn't come to follow the Lord until that summer. And um, Hmm. one of the things that ended up occurring was I'd felt the entire first year at Whitworth that I was being judged. I'd I'd, uh, been a part of uh, a lifestyle that wasn't really reflective of um, the Lord in my life, even though I would speak that it wasn't true in my heart or the way I lived. What's that lifestyle? Like, what do you mean by that? uh, Partying, drinking, um, sleeping around. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it it was just the the aspect of I I said I knew Jesus and I love Jesus, but I just didn't live a life that where that was really resonating and and people knew that. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, that whole first year, I really felt like I was being judged because of those actions. Um, I hadn't really changed my actions coming from a large state school to a small Christian school. I was still sleeping around. I was still, um, drinking. I was still doing whatever I really wanted. Hmm. And, um, but I was surrounded by this community that was living life totally different. Hmm. And 
I came to this place where I just uh, had a su- uh, that summer where I had this week of just wrestling with God, and uh, it, it all culminated with me going to a wedding. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever been to a wedding where two people had actually chosen to wait, which mm-hmm. I thought was absolutely phenomenal. I didn't think that was a real thing. Um, I just thought people spoke it, but it wasn't true. And then I was just surrounded by people that um, were having this this beautiful time of fellowship and community without uh, drugs and alcohol being a part of it. Uh, you know, they they might have had a, a pint or something like that, but it wasn't like this like legalistic thing. They weren't getting smashed. They were just having a really good time being in one another's company. And I got back and I had this moment where I just wrestled with God. It, it uh, started in the early evening and went into the early morning and it just led to me realizing that the entire first year that I had felt judged was really just the work of the Holy Spirit convicting me. And um, I just realized I had to make a choice. If I was going to live for the Lord, then I needed to start following him. Wow. And if I wasn't, I, I needed to say, all right, I'm done with this Christian thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what ultimately led to me uh, making a decision to to follow him, and I haven't turned back since. I, you know, the 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 funny thing is, we're talking about the purity movement, and we're going to talk about sexual integrity. But you know, one of the biggest things that uh, happened to me in the midst of that transformation was uh, I'd gotten done praying, and this is only the second time in my life, and this is really one of the last times where I just had this audible thing. Um, happened where God just spoke to me after this time of confessing of uh, coming into the early morning and just saying, okay, Lord, I want to live my life for you. And um, the Lord just kind of leading me to this overlook here in Spokane. And I was on this cliff overlooking the city and just confessing my love for Jesus and um, what I wanted to do. And I, I felt the Lord just say, you need to give up dating for two years and uh, you just need to focus on me. Hmm. And um, I had no idea what that meant, but I was like, okay, that makes sense. It seems like relationships uh, with the opposite sex were the thing that was keeping me from really growing. And if I was really going to grow in my faith, then I needed to to just focus on my relationship with Jesus. Hmm. And it's as I'm confessing my love for Jesus and I'm doing all these things that I realize that this is actually a place everyone comes to hook up and and oh, no. uh, <laughs> it's like lover's cliff. Oh, no. And, you know, I'm falling in love with my savior as other people are probably in cars <laughs> hooking up or something. But um, it was it was just uh, this this moment that I think has spoke volumes uh, about the work that I now do. And I don't think it was by mistake that I was in that spot in that place as I was hmm. dedicating my life to the Lord. And I had no idea where where I was going. I was already in advertising at the time, but I just kind of felt like, OK, I'm going to see where this goes. And, you know, five years later, I walked away from advertising to fully embrace wherever God was going to lead. Wow. So how is that gorgeous gospel and testimony still good news for you today? How do you still need him? <laughs> uh, you know, here's here's the thing. Uh, I think good news is uh, this thing that uh, isn't just something that's happened or is happening. It's something that's for the future. Hmm. Um, in order for it to be good news, it has to be something that's being revealed, uh, not just now and not just healing my past, but it's also something that's proclaiming something great about the future. I mean, that's what good news was. That's what the hmm. gospel message was. Yes. Uh, and, and for me, it, it just means it's not just what I'm saved from, it's what I'm saved for. And I, I, I constantly am aware of the good news that God speaks into my life, that he wants to use me in the midst of where I've been and where I'm at to be able to continue to speak his good fortune, his love, his good news in the lives of others. And and for me, it's been uh, just this revelation of the work isn't done. There's still restoration to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that part of that is just how I perceive scripture. I, I think that sometimes what happens when we get to scripture is we only see it as as fall and redemption. We only have two parts of a four-part story. We mm-hmm. we work out of we're, we're bad, we're sinful, thus we need Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're forgiven. That's great. But that's just fall and redemption. We miss the beginning and the end of scripture. We, we miss creation, mm-hmm. God's good intent, very good intent. And we miss restoration, the, where, where, where 
scripture leads us to. And um, if we're only living in the two part story, it's like watching a movie, you know, 30 minutes in and, and ending it before the last 30 minutes, you know, closes out the story. And for me, I I don't want to just live in the middle. I want to live in the entirety. And so for me, good news is moving towards that place where we see full restoration. So good. So good. Well, I mean, so you, you say the, the live out of, you know, living out of the, the two parter, you know, the fallen redemption piece, you know, and I feel like when it comes to, especially this, this conversation with sexuality, there, there is a lot of that kind of mentality that's going on as far as, you know, here's the thing that you're not supposed to do that you've been doing or that you want to do and that you're tempted by. And, and then people just kind of do this, well, stop it, <laughs> live like Christ redeemed you. Yet there's, there's not necessarily this <laughs> invitational aspect to, okay, what is it that he's leading you to, as opposed to just saying no to, to what, you know, he has put up, you know, barriers around, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, I mean, you're pointing to, to dynamic of language mm. that, you know, a lot of times we're not aware of how how we perceive good news or how we see scripture and how it influences impacts not only our language, but then our posture. And, uh, I, I actually think that if we're only looking at two parts and we're starting with the fall, well, our language is going to be around sin, which is going to be around the, the, the language of no bad, Mm -hmm. not good. Uh, and we'll yes, get to image of God or, or Jesus or forgiveness, but I, that's just not the story that that I see taking place. Like it starts with it was very good. Yes. And mm-hmm. when I see Jesus interact with people that are caught specifically in the act of sexual sin, I see Jesus humbling himself. I see Jesus uh, embracing. I see Jesus extending grace. Uh, I, I think that that's a lot of times something that we miss. Um that we start with sin and then move to image of God rather than starting with image of God and moving then into conversations around sin. Because depending on how we see it, it can influence the language we use and then the posture we take. Which leads us into this whole purity movement versus sexual integrity. And I I, rem- I grew up kind of in the middle of, toward the, in the end of the purity movement, which again was so, it there's, really great pieces of it. The intent was like, you know, that redemption and God can make you whole and no matter where you came from or what you've done, like God wants to make you like restart now. But I I remember being like, just don't have sex for sure. Don't like anyone of the same sex. That's like the worst thing. Um, and then it's like, just be good and, and stay on the straight and narrow in so many ways. Uh, but an issue with that, and I just would love to hear your thoughts on that too, is um, I even see it with my little kids now, is when they sin, they both guilt hits them and shame. And so especially around areas of sexual sin, we've all in this room experienced this, and Jason, you're in this room in spirit, but just like Satan's already saying you're worthless and you are a used up piece of gum, you know, <laughs> like that. That was some of the the metaphors that have been used is like when you chew gum yeah. and pass it around. So, uh, it, yeah, <laughs> like having sex with multiple partners. Right. And I don't know. So it's just very much this language of like, OK, just don't do bad stuff or you're going to be a used up piece of gum. And Satan already re- Satan repeats those lies or says them first. And so we need a different way, which is the Jesus way. So Jason, what do you think about that? And how does that relate Hmm. to the old way of talking about the purity movement? Yeah, I I just, I I need to start by just saying, I I really appreciate the way that you're taking the posture with the movement and not just pointing out all the bad stuff. I, I actually think the only reason I'm able to do the work I do is because of many of the pioneers that started the purity movement. Hmm. Um, do I agree with what, what it has done or do I, did I agree with it then? And do I agree with it now wholeheartedly? No, I think that there were some big mistakes, um, hmm. that were made, uh, and, uh, the approach that was taken, the language that was shared. I think that we, unfortunately it became a little bit more rules-based than it did Jesus-based. Yeah. I think the way that we look at purity, unfortunately, and even some of the early books and uh, even books today that talk about purity, it, it's 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 pretty easy to to take Jesus out of the language 
mm-hmm. um, because it's mostly all sin management. It's mm-hmm. not uh, something that's happening to the heart. And yeah. I, I actually think that um, you use the analogy – uh, Elizabeth Smart actually brought this up recently. And Elizabeth Smart, if you don't remember, was uh, mm-hmm. abducted when she was 12 mm-hmm. um, from her home, uh, was assaulted, raped, uh, forced into um, a, a marriage with this individual that had abducted, had abducted her, or a pseudo marriage or w- whatever we might call it, mm-hmm. was uh, found, brought back home. And the thing that stuck with her was that analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, about uh, being a chewed up piece of gum. Now, you know, let's just think about her story. That was not a choice she made. That was a choice that was stolen from her. Yeah. That that analogy, though, and the way it was framed, framed the way that she saw the things that had happened to her. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm I I think that we have to pay attention, especially especially right now in this cultural moment that yeah. we're in. Yeah. Um. Because I feel like what we've unfortunately done within the purity movement is we've given analogies that really are not needed and actually don't really point to, I believe, the heart of God. Um, And we've um, uh, created a bunch of rules. And I think that sometimes the default mode of our heart wants rules, but rules don't lead us to Jesus always. Um, and, And I think that one of the things that we have to be able to do is pay attention to to the places that we've failed. And I think that those are some of those areas where analogies don't work. Um, rules are not really what, what we need. What we need is to know our creator intimately. And how do we do that? Well, that's through Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a dynamic to the way that the purity movement made it more about rules, uh, made it more about what you don't do. Um, rather than about a relationship that is transforming and changing, um, and I also think that when you have rules um, and you you base it around that, it just becomes about virginity, about protecting your virginity. Right. And and I actually, that like the first question when you get to heaven um, is not going to be, hey, did you wait until you were married? Um, we sometimes treat this conversation like that. And that's just not the heart of it. That that should be a byproduct of something much more and much deeper, which is, our desire to honor the Lord, yeah. our desire to walk in obedience, our desire because we know we are loved by our creator, yeah. that when he made us, it wasn't just good. It was very good. And I think that we sometimes miss that. I think that if um, we look at uh, purity simply as rules, as sin management, I think that ultimately leads to shame, which communicates I am a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and and framing the conversation around sex is bad versus uh, changing that and looking at the, 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 this beauty of, well, if we actually take the four part series uh, of scripture, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, we start in creation. We, we see God's very good intent. We see, um, God's great plan. We see just goodness revealed. And that then changes the way we step into this. Um, we, instead of it being about what we're not about, it's about what we can step into. And when I'm working with my kids, I want them to recognize, I, I want them more to understand God's good plan more than just what I don't want them to do. So what is, and maybe this will lead into what is sexual integrity then? So looking at it through the lens of creation, fall, redemption, recreation, then what is God's good plan for sex? You know, if it's not just true love weights or, and again, there's good pieces to that. But yeah, if it's, yeah. The goal is not virginity till marriage. And then Matt, I know that really hurt you was, oh, just wait till you're married and then everything will be perfect. And we did find that, didn't we? <laughs> Let's hold hands and bad eyes at each other. Yeah, no, not so much. <laughs> Whoops. Um, we, have, we have different memories of those early parts of our marriage. And but. recent, uh, no. <laughs> but um, so if it's, what, what's the meaning of sex in God's good plan, looking at creation, fall, redemption, then? (laughs) My brain floods with so many different ways to dive into this, but I I think uh, what sex becomes uh, is not uh, something that we're always trying to protect, or um, maybe the better way of saying it is sex is not this thing that is only focused on the genitalia and um, it's based on selfishness, like what I'm trying not to do Mm -hmm. in order to then give 
um, when I get married, um, sex mm. becomes this byproduct and sex becomes this thing where it's more about the other than it is about me. Mm -hmm. Um, so what happens, I think with the purity movement so oftentimes is it becomes about don't have sex until you're married. So it becomes about virginity, which then makes it a selfish thing. It's all about what I don't do, what I'm not engaging in. It, it's all about me. Whereas sexual integrity, if you look at the idea and the root of in, uh, integrity, integer, it's about wholeness. So it's moving beyond the genitalia and moving into aspects of mind, body, soul, spirit. It's how does all of me relate to all of you? How does all of me relate to what's going on in the world around me? It's removing the, the aspect of selfishness and actually moving us and compelling us into a space that wants to honor and walk in obedience with our, our Lord. We, we, we want to uh, uh, have this thing that we have be uh, a blessing. And so we're not so focused on when and where and and. Uh, it's going to take place. We're not just focused on it being about uh, me and what I'm protecting. It's more about how does what I have bless others? How how does it bless my spouse? How does it uh, become more about them and honoring God than about me and trying to protect something? So what about the young people or not young people who are listening, they're not married and they're listening to that and they're like, yeah, I just really actually marriage isn't doesn't have to be a piece of this. I just want to love yeah. my significant other, mind, heart, body, spirit. Yes, yes, yes. I agree with everything you're saying. I want to serve and give to them, but I don't. Marriage is just a contract. Well, I, I think that one of the things we have to understand is uh, you can live your life and not have sex and still have a pretty full life. Yeah. Now, <laughs> a very full I know life. that Jesus. <laughs> yes, that's right. And, and I think that that's a big aspect of this. I think, though, that we have to understand that marriage is not just a contract, that there is something to marriage that that is not just meant for our happiness and not just meant for us to have someone that we can play house with. It's actually meant uh, to be this aspect of uh, something that models our relationship with the Lord. It's this refining thing, this work that's being done mm -hmm. that actually causes growth um, with the one that created this model and created this great gift. Yeah. And we can do that. Um, we can do that in community outside of marriage uh, with other friends. I, I think that's why as a church, we've got to step away from the uh, speaking of or treating marriage as an idol. I think there is something powerful Amen. and beautiful and needed conversation around the gift of singleness. Yes. Um, and I also think that when we talk about marriage, we have to move beyond it being a contract or just a great place where you can be happy or where you can have sex. Like, the, the, unfortunately, that's what the conversation has been brought to. But marriage is about so much more than that. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's not just uh, about a place that we should idolize. It, it's actually a place that it, it creates this refining process that if – uh, we truly are allowing for God to be at the center of it is incredibly refining and actually teaches us a lot about ourselves and our relationship or our faith in, in Jesus. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm pushing you there because these are all questions that our peers and our, we ourselves have, have considered. And I love Tim Keller in The Meaning of Marriage as he talks about how sex is a covenant re renewal ceremony. It is that mind, heart, body, spirit, but it's really saying... I am recommitting to you completely when it's difficult, when it is feels impossible. And I want to serve and give and love to you. But he just, I love that idea of like a covenant renewal ceremony. Whereas outside of marriage, it's kind of this, it's, he, he always talks about, it's like a, um, it's like an, it's not even an application. It's like you're dating or they could leave you at any point. You could leave the job, you could leave the house. And so it's always like you're on trial or you're, um, like testing as opposed to being like, I am recommitting again and I am demonstrating my wholehearted commitment to you in bodily form, which again, mm -hmm. for precious single siblings who model the physical giving of Christ in how they can, in like Romans 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I just always want to have an eye on our single listeners and how, um, Marriage is a metaphor. We say that all the time here of of Christ's love for the church, and so how yeah. Christ, how single people can look at married people and be like, "Wow, how you love each other and serve each other." Uh, 
outside of obviously the bedroom, how you guys are modeling that covenant commitment shows me how much Christ is committed to me. And I can model for you, precious married people, how I am all mm-hmm. in too, how I am serving and giving and, and part of this community. So mm. you're laying out this beautiful picture and, and helping us see kind of the difference in language and how important language is. For those of us who are parents and have young kids or at, at whatever ages, can you help us walk through how we can talk through mm. sexuality? Because I, again, we've got little kids, but, and I look at children in general and it kind of, I look at them and I'm like, I feel like everyone's kind of doomed. <laughs> like the world is so broken and sexual brokenness is so rampant. I just wonder mm. how can we be salt and light? How can we walk this hard, narrow road in discipling our children? And again, for those of us who don't have biological children, how can we help foster childhood growth at our church as this community? Yeah. Uh, can I just for a moment go back to w- what you were talking about with marriage? Yes. Um, because I, I think this is so very important. Um, and I love the way you're talking about this. And I, I'm so grateful that you're you're uh, in tune with those that are single in, in your audience, your yeah. listeners, because oh, yeah. um, this is so very important. And I think that, that sometimes we can miss this. And I think this is what the purity movement missed is um, there there is a uh, power that marriage people have in the church that I don't think that most married people understand. Um, and we marginalize singles. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, uh, for every 294 books uh, on marriage for Christians, there's only one book written on single oh. or on singleness. Is that like a statistic and, or are you just randomly? Yeah, that? no, that is a statistic. Oh, like that, that, that is what they have found. Um, and I found that in my own research as I've been trying to look at uh, this dynamic and wow. uh, this thing called singleness. Um and I just remember vividly. Uh, so I recommitted my life to the Lord when I was 21. I didn't marry till I was 34. I waited um, during those years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I started speaking on this probably when I was 26, 27. And I remember being um, asked to come to a conference and speak, and then being turned down once they found out I wasn't married. Oh um, man. So I, I just I, I'm very passionate for uh, those that that are single yes. and um, to to recognize that uh, you know we're not promised marriage in scripture <laughs> and um, like that's the thing that we have to be able to understand and there is something beautiful about the words that Paul speaks when he speaks about the gift of singleness mm-hmm. um, but I think that in order for us to understand that gift I think it it requires singles one to understand what that means and two for people that are married in the church to recognize the privilege that they have and to be able to use some of that to be able to bless not just other married couples, but those that are single, others in our church whose voices sometimes get marginalized. Yes, so to I, speak up for them I, and make room and write more books. <laughs> Let them yes. write books. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Because, I, you know, one of the things that has been so rich uh, in my marriage with my wife is um, we've been surrounded by college students often mm-hmm. uh, throughout the eight years of our marriage. And we've been surrounded by people that are single. Um, and uh, there is a gift that we are given. And I, and I know there is a gift that they receive when we are together and mm-hmm. we are in community. So I just think that that's really important as we we are diving into these conversations that we recognize um, the importance and the roles that each plays. But uh, just yeah, oh, yeah. being very careful with how we, we treat each. Well, thank so. you. And thank you for carving out space just now. I'm sure single listeners are like, yes, thank you, because we do hit it, but we need to talk about it even more. And I always want to be aware of you. And I will add into we have a, a single woman living with us and just integrating her into our normal kind of boring but crazy life is so precious. <laughs> and the way that she is able to look into our lives and she's like, oh, I love watching you parent. And I was like, do I parent? Like, I'm just like, I'm just trying to get through the day. I and- just try to not get angry. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to make sure they get to bed. No, but like her highlighting things and then vice versa. Like she's just like watching and watching us love these girls and, and when we are aware that we're parenting. And so yes, yes, a million times yes. And I just want to call out to all the married people and families, please invite single people into your home to live and to stay and to be a part of that family because we are 
so blessed. We're like, if you ever move out, we're going to be weeping. So we're, we're incredibly blessed. But in the last few minutes, I would yes. love just speaking yes. of child rearing, which I think I've been waiting to use that word, child rearing <laughs> words for several years. So thank you for letting me say that. But how can we talk about sex and sexuality? Again, briefly, this could be a whole podcast um, yeah. with children in a way that's age appropriate, but in this sort of more glorious creation, fall, redemption, not just don't do, just say no to sex sort of language. Yeah. So uh, there's there's a phrase I common use I commonly use when I'm speaking about this and and it's becoming the authority. Uh, as a parent, you want to be Google to your children, especially around this huh. subject. But I think all subjects, and I think the way you do that is you model it from a young age. So uh, when they're younger and they're looking at their body, you yeah. want to be honest about what their body parts are. What what is it? So. Uh, I, when I was growing up, I had friends that even in uh, grade school, as we were learning about, uh, the anatomy of the body would call it a woo woo and a wee wee. Yeah. And that, that's not what we find. That's not what they learned in school. That's not what the culture is going to teach them. I always tell parents, call it by the name that they're going to learn in school, penis, vagina. Like that's what we're going to hear. That's what's going to be said. Right. And I think as Christians, we sometimes get worried about that. But here's why I always say it's really important. You you want to steal culture's opportunity uh, to educate your children so that you can educate them first. Hmm. And so that way, um, you're consistently beating the culture to any sort of education around sex, sexuality, relationship, technology. I mean, it's just not it's not just sex and sexuality. It's it's all aspects of life. Wow. And the reason for that is is that you become the authority. You are the space that um, from an early age they know they can trust what you're sharing is true. It's factual. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, it, that you're not hiding anything from them. Yeah. And you know what what that's going to do is when they get to school they're going to learn all this stuff and they're already going to know it they're going to oh yeah my mm -hmm. mom and dad said that oh yeah my mom and dad said that oh yeah my my mom and dad they they spoke about that oh yes yes my parents they they engaged me on this i i think that that that's one really important thing but i also say that um in becoming the authority you've also got to point to the authority in their life mm -hmm. um as christians and where is that 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 where what's that source uh, well mm -hmm. it, it's jesus it's it's this this aspect of, and where do we learn about jesus well we learn about it in scripture mm -hmm. and i think that what a lot of times we do and if we just want to focus on sex and sexuality we could but i think this is true about all sorts of behavior is that sometimes we only bring out scripture when we want to correct a behavior um and so we we, we talk about well you know uh, Jesus talks about this, you know, whatever sin it might be, and we shouldn't be doing that. And I think that that's the wrong way to use scripture. I think that scripture should be a part of our lives so that it's there from uh, a meal time to devotion time, that that it's a part of life, that there is wisdom. There, is, there are things that are being imparted uh, to our kids that come directly out of scripture, and they learn that it's a source of wisdom, of of how we go about this life, of what it means to truly be in relationship with Jesus Christ, um, that we're not just using it as this rule book or this place to correct behavior. It's actually a source of wisdom in our lives. Hmm. And I, I I think that a lot of times what we do is we only go to it when we want to correct a behavior. And yeah. and actually, that gives us the wrong sense of what Scripture's purpose is, what it, what how it how we use it, all these different things. Um, what we want them to do is have this be a place where they're coming to and reading at all times in their life when it's good and when it's bad. Mm -hmm. And I think that parents have a great opportunity in doing that as they're becoming the authority and stealing it from the culture, but also pointing to the authority um, that is in their life. Yes. God, I mean, th this is this is a wonderful, wonderful thing that then allows, I think, uh, for as conversations and times come up to be able to uh, have conversations specifically around sex and sexuality. Um, and I'll just say very quickly with that, you got to be unafraid to be able to dive into these conversations. Yeah. And the only way you can do that is if you've dealt with your own stuff prior to diving into the conversations with them. Preach. Um, when they're younger, you can you can um, point out you know the anatomy. You can point out uh, how things work and what's happening. 
But as you get older and you're starting to dive into this and your kids are, are going to be exposed to stuff earlier and earlier than when you were, uh, it's really important that you work through your own stuff hmm. prior to parenting. Because if you've not worked through your own stuff, then um, you will parent out of your pain, your hurt, and your shame. And there's a good chance that your kids might replicate or repeat because you're afraid to dive into that because of some of the own stuff that's gone in your, on in your life. And so Love it. sometimes, sometimes you just need to be able to, to, um, uh, allow for the opportunity to, to step aside from that and give yourself time to, to heal and to understand mm. and to forgive, um, before you dive into it with your kids. Yeah. Well, and so I'm, I mean, this whole, this whole time you're talking, I'm thinking, well, we need to get back to a parenting, I guess, choice of, of discipleship hmm. as, as a major part of parenting, not just saying right behavior, but saying the, the good, the good end, like the, the thing that we're running to, not just what we want to run from, you know, and, and in order to be a disciple maker, you have to first be a disciple oh, in yeah. your own life. This is so good and rich. And I feel some sort of conviction in my own heart. I'm like, what, what's going on there? So I'm sure it's the Lord just pointing out ways that like, I just areas I need to keep working and growing. And it's, there's nothing like your kids to just hold up a mirror. Cause you see like, oh, wow. So sin gets passed on, huh? There it is. <laughs> and, uh, and then too, again, oh. even having people live with us, I'm like, wow, I am not only Jesus is in this room, but like having people watch us parent and really wanting to work <laughs> through my own stuff. Like it's, you know, you get, you can get convicted right there. So thank you so much, Jason, for sharing your heart and just such beautiful wisdom. Just really appreciate your voice in this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being here. So for those of you who are listening, our question of the week is actually about triggers. So actually, this is from my friend Kat. If you heard the Gender Conversation podcast, which is still our most listened to one, which is super great. Um, Kat, she texted me this week. She's like, can you do one asking people, when have they been hit in the childhoods in a good way? <laughs> now, what's, what does that mean to be hit in the childhoods? So if, if I will say to Matt, oh, whatever, I, I'll, I'll somehow neglect you or like not look at you and you'll, you'll be like, oh, I just got hit right in the childhoods because you felt that some in your childhood. Uh-oh, now we're opening up a new podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but how have you been triggered by your childhood in a good way? So maybe you smell something recently or you see My Little Ponies or with my girls just watching them grow up. I'm just like, oh, I remember today catching monarch butterflies and how much that that was so fun. So we just would love to hear from you. When have you been triggered in a good way? We'd love to hear some of that. Um, but for those of you who listen, just thank you for listening. Thanks for sharing this with your friends. It means so much when you uh, are passing it along and sharing it. And thank you for giving those positive reviews. If you have critique, we'll take them too, but we love it. Uh, find us on iTunes and just let us know what you think. You can always email us with questions or ideas for questions of the week, like hit you in the childhoods uh, or goofball Island. Please give me ideas. Um, we can do that at podcast at himhministries.com. And of course, for those of you who want to support us and see uh, see this thing succeed, you can support us at himhministries.com slash partner and any new donor of $20 or more per month. We're going to send you a gospel addict bracelet, which it's leather and it's fancy and I wear mine every day. And a thank you note from me, <laughs> yours truly, handwritten, um, for real. And, but we'd love, uh, what's a gospel addict? What is that, Lori? It is someone who knows their desperate daily need for a savior. So it's such a good reminder to me to be like, I need thee every hour. And um, I'm going to be thinking too, just that holistic gospel piece, just the creation to redemption. Just, yeah, I need thee and I'm going somewhere. This struggle is both real and worth it. So y'all, thanks so much. I'll tag Jason's resources on our podcast episode page. And so we'd love for you to connect with him. Again, thanks so much, Jason. Thank you, Producer Steve and Matt, and for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast. We will see you next week. Okay, you're good. All right, good. Beard. Lori, are you good? I'm always good. Yeah. I just have this hole in my heart. Other yeah. than that...
I feel like I've been interacting with that concept yeah. for the last little while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a black hole. It's yes. Like, oh, yeah. It is the thing that Han Solo had to take the Kessel Run to, yep. you know? Yep. It's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The that's cluster right. of black like holes. It's, yeah. yeah. It's just like it's gravity. It's Nothing can escape it. Nothing. Right. Other than the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> in Who less do you think than, you are? In less than but you've got to make sure you, you got to make sure you got a weird uh, octopus space monster to plug it up for a second. Then you can. That's, Which that's one's true. that in it's Star in, Wars? It's and in the Solo. 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 You didn't see it. You didn't space see space. A Star Wars. Wait, did you? Yes, I did. You saw Solo. That's the one you did. That's see. why. Yeah. See, when I was watching that one, like, I just wow. kept being like, people, I, every monster that kept showing up, I was like, people actually like this. Like, they're <laughs> looking around the room. I'm like, you're all cheering for the monster that yep. just plugged up the black hole in your heart. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. All <laughs> right. I'm going to call Jason. Jason. I was offended. <clears throat>